Welcome in. My name is Alina Folks, and I am the host here at Climate Avengers, and I am a venture partner at Climate Avengers, the syndicate and rolling fund. Today, we're going to be talking about what is climate tech. And joining me today is fellow venture partner Nico Johnson for us to explore what climate tech is. It's been an evolving topic. It's different for everyone and excited to share the perspective of Nico with all of you. Alina, I'm stoked to have a chance to join you. It is a long time coming. Been watching the preparation for the show and in our machinations over how do you think about putting the concept together? The question we came back to time and time again is what is climate tech? That's the fundamental question someone ought to be asking if they are new to this topic. So I think this is the right first step. And I'm happy to join you in this first sort of pre-episode. I kind of look at it that way because your wonderful guests will be joining the lineup that we have coming for everyone. I want to also say thanks to everyone who is jumping in and listening to the Climate Avengers podcast as a podcaster myself and the CEO of Resource Labs, where this podcast is uh, being produced. It is um, very exciting time to be creating content and educating and helping folks along their own individual learning journey of how you can contribute individually into climate action. And few people I've met are as passionate at helping you along that path as Alina. Alina, would you like me to take a stab at what is climate tech as a first go? That's perfect. Please hop right in. <laughs> sure. I uh, I think that you and Kyle both have a more, uh, I would call it seasoned uh, answer for this. My answer is perhaps a little controversial in that uh, I am one of those who says, I don't really like the term climate tech, but I accept it because I really liked the term clean tech. So for me, climate tech is the revisioning, of, is, if you will, or the, the, the remodeling structurally of what we called clean tech when I first got into the solar industry back in 2006. And um, it's interesting that date specifically comes up in an article that Forbes wrote back in uh, 2021, where they asked, will this generation of quote climate tech be different? And what they were effectively saying is we've seen this train before and it crashed. It was called clean tech and uh, it's got a dirty name. Um, they, they, they of course list a picture of Solyndra there you know, but they've pointed out that in 21 alone, a whopping, you know, 50-ish billion dollars of venture capital and private equity poured in to what is now being called climate tech. BlackRock, uh, we we love to quote Larry Fink around here. He effectively said the next thousand unicorns will be in climate tech. So it's uh, appropriate that we define it. I am a curator, not a creator in the classic sense. I go and find how other people define things. And I sort of pull them together. So let me give you a couple of d definitions that I've found. Because when I think about clean tech, it clean tech 1.0 was really investment in solar and hard tech electrification, but really thinking about the core technology, the underlying technology from you know silicon to concentrators and battery technologies, chemistries, and climate tech, it seems certainly in the age of climate awareness, which has we've seen sort of burge in here in the last five plus years with the various COP meetings is the, the soup du jour. And so it makes sense that now what we, what we did call climate clean tech is now expanded to think about how do we actually invest in methods to reduce greenhouse gases. I think at its core, climate tech is exactly that. It is investing in startups whose goal is to reduce greenhouse gases. Bloomberg, they have an article that was published in the terminal originally 
where it says climate tech is defined as technologies and business models that act to decarbonize six sectors. And I thought this was really interesting. Of all the places I looked, hmm. Bloomberg was the only one to define six sectors. And that's so very Bloomberg of them. Energy, transport, buildings, and infrastructure together. Carbon and climate together. Industry and agriculture together. So that's energy, sector, transport, buildings, and infrastructure. Carbon and climate, industry, and agriculture. So obviously energy and transport have typically been the most popular of those areas for investment. And I think what we're seeing is a lot more focus right now in the other, specifically carbon and climate seems to be a hot one. The other place where uh, I got a lot of, I'd say insight and help in learning about what, what is climate tech, sort of the new clean tech 2.0, what we call climate tech is from PricewaterhouseCooper. And I think we should link to the state of climate tech in the show notes, but I would encourage folks to go read the state of climate tech 2021 and the state of climate tech 2022 because price waterhouse gets very specific and and they improve on that product uh, if you will over the course of two years but they define climate tech as technologies that are explicitly focused on reducing greenhouse gas emissions as i said in the outset or addressing the impacts of global warming i think that that is a really good macro definition and they further say climate tech applications can be grouped into three broad sectors take that bloomberg Directly mitigating or removing emissions, helping us to adapt to the impacts of climate change and enhancing our understanding of the climate. I love that definition uh, and I wanted to juxtapose it with Bloomberg, which is, I think, very research and business focused and trying to be very specific about how our investors thinking about it and how do we put it in as many sectors. And I know that you're inspired by yet another very expansive document, as it were, that goes into much more detail in categories than just six. Alina, how do you define climate tech? For me, climate tech is anything that reduces the greenhouse gas emissions. You know, I I did like what PwC was saying there in terms of adaptability and resilience. I think that's really important as well. So it's anything that touches on that. Thinking about climate resilience, disaster response, that's part of it as well. And how do we prepare for that and respond? For me, first and foremost, climate tech, I think about Project Drawdown, which is Mm -hmm. a comprehensive study by economists that take 100 technologies that currently exist, run the numbers and figure out if we just do a little bit with each of these technologies, that adds up to 100% solution for the climate. And they have many more sectors than three or six And I think that might be more of an academic or economist approach. Mm -hmm. It's almost refreshing to think about it in terms of a hundred different solutions. You're not relying on one specific solution. Mm -hmm. If you think about hundred solutions and you do 1% each and each of those solutions solves 1% of the climate issue, it seems a lot easier to solve versus let's decarbonize the transportation sector. That's, can seem unfathomable because there's so many different components of it. When you think about logistics and boats and trains and trucks and automobiles and consumers and businesses, it gets a lot messier than three or six topics pretty quickly. That's how I think about climate tech. It seems a lot more approachable. It means there's so many different solutions and we see all of those types of solutions coming through with climate Avengers Mm -hmm. as well. And I think that the distinction between clean tech was really R&D focused on the hard technologies for energy. More specifically, it was like biofuels and solar cell efficiency. 
That's not where we're at now. Climate tech is solutions that exist that need to be scaled. The technology is there. It's already been proven. And where the capital is going is the technologies that are ready for scale that have de-risked the actual hard technology. So it's very exciting to see way more software solutions. And that's what tech loves to invest in as well. Oh, yeah. Venture capital loves software. Software is eating the world. Solar yeah. is eating the world now because the hard technology of solar is already solved. Yeah. So now you can iterate and innovate across how do we sell solar? Where are we selling it? How do we think about that value add for consumers and businesses? And how do we connect that into the grid? It's much more software based yeah. now. And I think that's an important distinction as well. You know, in the 17 plus years that I've been in the solar industry, there's never been a time where there was more interest, ambition, attention towards scaling technologies that will help us reduce global greenhouse emissions. You get an ESG score now that is being monitored and indeed qualified for publicly traded companies against their valuations. And that is a real concern that every corporation is going to, I mean, there is regulation already approved coming down the pipeline that will determine whether or not a publicly traded company gets sort of dinged by their ESG score, which is environmental social governance. How are they thinking about building in sustainable practices that reduce and mitigate greenhouse gas emissions as a common core piece of their business? Walmart is taking action on, we talk about this a lot over on the Suncast podcast, like your scope one, scope two, scope three emissions. And as a result, we're seeing a lot of software and technology platform plays looking at carbon offsets, carbon accounting. You mentioned Drawdown, and I wanted to point out for folks who perhaps have never heard of Project Drawdown, we'll link to all of the resources that Alina and I are going through in the conversation today. And I really encourage you to go check out the table of solutions and rank it by the scenarios, because what they do is they give you two different scenarios and gigatons of CO2 equivalent reduced for each solution or sector. And one of the things that you're going to hear in some upcoming episodes for uh, companies that we invest in through Climate Avengers that will that might surprise those who maybe do more like me associate climate tech with clean tech is that the biggest bang for our buck is not even in solar. It's not even in the top five. Solar utility no. scale is number eight on the list, Alina. <laughs> It's a completely different way of thinking about things and it goes to the numbers and we like to get into our our niches and live in the world of solar or renewables. And there are so many other solutions and there's that respect now as well is like recognizing the numbers coming down for carbon. The thing that surprised me the most of Project Drawdown, I mean, jaw dropping uh, surprise was the top two and I would say the top four are mm-hmm. personal health oriented, right? It is literally like the very first one is reduced food waste, which is essentially like waste, not want not. And also let's not be a society who grows more than we can eat and throws it away and still has hungry people um, on the, you know, um, with their hand out looking for help. Number two is a plant rich diet, right? Plant rich diet, not a meat rich diet. We're very clear on how um, the Agricultural cultivation of meat in this world is negatively impacting our environment uh, and our health, uh, family planning, and then refrigerant management. And we only have refrigerant management because we have to ship food 
everywhere and hold it for long periods of time. Meat famously not holding in its non-salted form for uh, as long as vegetables and and whatnot will. Anyway, my point there is like, I was super surprised that how we eat and our food chain is the biggest way that we can save the planet, that we can reduce greenhouse gases and that we can invest in climate tech that goes towards that. As a result, it was no surprise to me when we introduced a company that is specifically addressing how we eat as one of the climate tech companies that Climate Avengers has invested in. Absolutely. Thinking about meat, cow burps, cow farts, all of those things. <laughs> it's a different way to view the world. And I'm glad that you went through those those top four because it, it isn't what you expect. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, let's spend a few minutes really talking about some of those unexpected components of what climate tech is. Because I think a lot of people imagine a factory with a smokestack and that's where all the carbon emissions are. And that is not the case. Okay. So we are talking about industrial food production and what we eat. That is a large component of the greenhouse gas Mm -hmm. emissions out there. It's land use. If we are having a bunch of cows on a field instead of a forest, Mm -hmm. how does that impact climate as well. The Amazon, the Amazon is now carbon negative, Elena. It was the largest carbon sink in the world. And now it's not, it's becoming carbon negative in most parts of the Amazon because of deforestation. It's the hunger of the world and the tradition of a Western diet. Mm. So if the rest of the world ate like Americans ate, it would be a much more dire situation. However, as people rise in incomes, you have more people eating more meat. So Mm -hmm. that is something that needs to be addressed. And the prestige of eating a plant-rich diet, mm-hmm. it's not quite there yet for the rest of the world as well. Mm-hmm. But talking about the rest of the world versus the immediate solutions in front of us, I think that's something important to mention as well, is that based on who we are and our experiences, we are able to have the greatest impact in our own community and within our own structures. We're not going someplace else and saying, you need to stop eating meat. Mm -hmm. You need to not cut down the Amazon for cows, which is an important component of it. But it's also, why is there demand for more meat? And that is because of what we choose to do in a high-income country. So I think that's an interesting component as well. Well, I'm excited at the first guests that you're bringing into the fold here, not just in the Climate Avengers podcast, but that were among our first investments through Climate Avengers Syndicate and Rolling Fund. You know, one of the things that we pointed to is this list of categories and sectors. 14 and 15 on the list is tree plantations and temperate forest restoration. Tell me about one of your first guests and their attempt at, uh, at helping get progress in there. Yeah. For reforestation, we have invested in mast reforestation, and I'll be having Grant on this podcast shortly. And it's fantastic to see what they're doing. They've been spending the the time and effort needed to figure out how to reforest land after wildfires, after it's been cleared for any type of reason and excited to dive into that story and really understand all of the factors that are happening there. And also the role of seeds and the availability of different types of plant-based or agriculture or tree-based solutions for climate. Alina, for those who maybe missed episode zero, as you dig in now with both founders and investors, what is it that folks can expect 
for I'm, I'm essentially going to turn the tables on you for a second in this first episode here so that folks can understand who is Alina. What can they expect as they tune into that episode with Grant and other founders and investors that have come alongside us to help tell this narrative of what is climate tech and why you should care? I'm excited about what the stories will be told here on the Climate Adventures podcast, and I'm excited for you to come along for that journey. I have been focused on showing people how to make money and save the world at the same time. And the stories that we're going to tell are from both sides, from the entrepreneurs to the investors. I have spent time in this industry. My entire career has been in climate and I've been through a traditional company like PG&E. I started a company, Utility API, and I went through Tesla. And over the past couple of years, I've been digging in to investing in this space and exploring where those opportunities are to deploy capital and invest capital and make that capital grow and also save the planet. And these are the stories that need to be told because it is possible. You can do both. And by learning more about how from these founders and from these venture capitalists will enable more people to do it too. Well, as someone who started down this journey with you and Kyle so that I could learn how to invest in climate, I am so eager and excited for those who choose to tune in and come along on this journey with you and with us. And the lineup that I see you curating in the back end here is uh, super exciting. So I wish you well. And I thank all of those who are tuning in and who will tune in because it is their opportunity learned through your eyes and ears on the ground that really helps us expand what we can do to actually take climate action, not just watch it happen through PwC reports. Exactly. And thanks for joining me today to talk about what is climate tech. I hope we've answered some questions out there. As you mentioned, we're going to have all the resources listed out in the show notes. Hopefully uh, we'll have some people diving into that a bit more too. To the listeners, thank you for joining us. Hop on over to resourcelabs.co slash climateavengers and see everything else that we are putting together. We'll have all of our resources there as well. And like, subscribe, share. I'm sure you might know some other person who could benefit from some of these insights that have been shared today. Until next time, take care.